And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, thank you for uh, this time of year when we remember your great goodness to us in uh, creation. Uh, thank you for the things that we enjoy from uh, your hand. Um, and we pray for, uh, for Luke as he teaches at this weekend away and for the church that Dave and Hannah uh, lead. We pray, please, that um, you would encourage that church as, uh, as Luke teaches and strengthen him uh, in that. And for us now, as we think about this great passage, please help us and give us understanding, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, question as we start, where do you find motivation for change? I don't know if you've got any particular sort of projects that you're working on, areas of life that you wish were, were different, some ideas uh, up there. Where do you find motivation for that sort of thing? Pathfinder Spectrum, in, in your sort of work, you, you maybe want to improve in a, in a subject or in a sport or your gym or whatever it is. Where do you find motivation for that sort of uh, change? Maybe you're here, you wouldn't call yourself a, a Christian, you're... Um, you're, you're looking in, and uh, I guess you might have targets in life. We hear that phrase, you know, be a better version of yourself. We all want to sort of improve ourselves. Well, where does anyone find motivation for that sort of uh, change? How about if you're a Christian? Where do you find motivation to live out the Christian life? Uh, John Newton, man on the screen here, was uh, a slave trader. His uh, life before he was a Christian was a life as a, a mean and a brutal man. Uh, over time, as he came to uh, faith, he changed. And he said that it was looking back and realizing what he was like before a Christ, uh, he was a Christian that changed him. He wrote, of course, the famous song, Amazing Grace. Uh, we'll sing that at the end. Paul wants us never to forget, if we're Christians, where we were before we were believers, that we might be motivated to live the Christian life. And so here we are, we're in the book of Ephesians. We've been uh, looking at it for a couple of uh, weeks now. There's a, a little summary of it on the, on the screen. It's about God's plan. And we're told that God's plan is to bring all things under Jesus for his people, the church, his body, the new united humanity. That's, the, that's where all of history is going. Everything is going to be brought under one person, Jesus Christ. And that is for the good of those who've come to know him. 
his body, the new humanity. And so the first part of the book, chapters 1 to 3, uh, know God's plan, and then we'll get to live God's plan uh, in a bit. But we'll get uh, in, the, in the second part to, to chapter 4, and it starts like this. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so I wonder how you get on with that sort of challenge, to live with humility and gentle, to bear with one another. I wonder how that's been for us this week. It's hard, isn't it? And he'll go on in the rest of the book to say things like serve each other, forgive one another, care about the church, be grateful, be a good boss, be a good employee, obey your parents. He calls us to be who we are, to be the new humanity. Well, where are we going to find motivation to live the Christian life, to live that out? And Paul wants to help us in this chapter and these verses to give us motivation for living the Christian life. And he does that by reminding us where we were if we're Christians before we were saved, before we knew God, that it might fuel our humility, that it might grow motivation to walk in a manner worthy of the miraculous calling that God has called us in. So it's a, it's a talk that breaks down into two parts, passage that breaks into two. We'll start, first of all, in verses 1 to 4 and see, remember, you were dead, walking in rebellious deeds. And we're on page 1175. If you've got a Bible and could open it up, that uh, I hope would, uh, would help you through. Verses 1 uh, through to 4. And uh, two weeks ago, when we were here, we heard that uh, God's plan was to unite everything in Jesus. But to do that, he has to unite things that at the moment are not united. So he has to unite us to him. That's what we're going to see this week, the vertical uh, unity. And then us to each other, the horizontal. We'll see that next week. But just before that, in verse uh, 19 of, of our chapter, of, of chapter 1, Paul wanted us to see what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us. His power towards us is immeasurable, he said, off the scale. And then he says that this power in verse 20 is towards us. I want to think about that for a minute. His power is towards us, if we're Christians. In what sense is God's power towards us? That's the sort of tee up for, for these verses. Well, it's towards us later in the book. God's power is towards us that we know God's love, to know his strength. But God's power in these verses is towards us in the way that God brought us to trust in him. He brought us from death to life. And that power that is towards us, says Paul, is the same power that was at work when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And so we mirror what happened to Jesus in these verses. So like Jesus, we were dead in verse 1. Verse 6, we were raised, we were seated. Think of the power, in other words, that was needed to raise Jesus from the grave. There he was, his body in a tomb, dead. Think of how death overpowers us all, how strong it is. But here is a power that overpowered 
death. That must be powerful indeed, that sort of power. And the Bible says that that is the sort of power that was needed to bring us to be Christians. If we're Christians here this morning. It's easy to sort of take becoming a Christian for granted or think becoming a Christian is a sort of a, a small thing. And Paul wants us to help us realize that it's not. I became a Christian myself when I was the age of some of you who are Pathfinders and Spectrum. I was in my teenage years and uh, I'd grown up in a Christian home. I'd heard the Christian message and the prayers of my parents, I'm sure, were very significant. But there was one particular moment when I prayed a prayer. I knew that I needed to trust in Jesus and I called out to pray uh, to him. It'd be easy to think as I look back on that moment, well, clever old me, I sort of worked it out. You know, I joined all of the dots and hey presto, in my mind, it just clicked into place and I worked it out. And of course, I did have to think. I did make a choice in one sense. But Paul wants to stop us in these verses from taking any credit for us becoming Christians. He wants to land us in verse 9, if you look down, he says, it's not a result of works so that no one may boast. And the way that he stops us taking any credit for becoming Christians ourselves is in the first four words of this chapter. Would you just look down at the first four words? And you were dead, he says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So he wants us to know that before we were in Christ, we were in trespasses, we were in sins, we were in the realm of this world, this age. Now, of course, we, we looked very alive in, in lots of ways. We, we did certain things. You can see them in those verses. We, we walked. We followed. We followed the prince of this world. That, that's, uh, that's Satan, the devil. Verse 3, we, we lived. We, we followed passions. We carried out desires. In one sense, we were very, very active. But Paul wants us to know that in the spiritual realm, in the relationship that matters most of all between us and God, we were actually, we were dead. We were dead to God. And he really wants to push that home on us. Not, not sleeping. It doesn't say we were sick. He says we were, we were dead. We were graveyard dead. We were unable to respond and relate. Now I've got a couple of uh, props under here. Let me just pull out the first one. first one is... Um, some chicken. And this, uh, this I think, is going to form uh, part of our lunch uh, today. And uh, before you are, are worried, my wife does know that uh, uh, it is here. Um, I, uh, I'm not that reckless that I uh, would uh, just raise something from the fridge for lunch without checking. So we, we know it's going to be turned into lunch later. I think there'll be a little bit more to it uh, than that as well. <laughs> I'm hoping. But um, here's the point. This is, this is dead. I mean, that's obvious, but it's, it's dead. It's unable to respond. I could, I could try to talk to her. I'd say, hello, hello, chicken, come to life. It, ridiculous. You know, it's silly, it's laughable. You, you know that's, that's dead. 
It, it can't relate. It, it's helpless to change the situation. I mean, imagine the sort of power that would be needed. I mean, it'd be quite a Sunday morning that you'd remember forever if I, if I, if I spoke to the chicken and suddenly, I mean, that'd be extraordinary. That would be power on another level, power off the scale, immeasurable power, if I could speak like that. And, and Paul wants us to know that spiritually, we were as dead as that on, on the inside. And of course, we might say, well, look, you know, but I, when I became a Christian, I responded. I told you I prayed a prayer, and I, and I did. And, and yes, it was a real decision. It was really me doing that. But the Bible says that, that for that to happen, God had to act first to enable me to respond. So let's change the, the illustration to the next prop, which is, um, which is a glove. A glove, a sort of a lifeless glove. Again, in another sense, dead and, 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 and lifeless. It can't respond. I can say, hello, glove, come to life. It's not, it's not going to happen. It can't respond. Of course, until you sort of go with the image here, until you put your hand in and, and, and give it life. And the Bible says that it was the same with, with us. God, God saw us. We were dead. We were lifeless. God, God chose us. We heard that a couple of weeks ago. He, the Bible says he, to use a sort of doctrine word, he regenerated us. He, or verse 6, he raised us to life. That's when that, the hand of the, the Spirit goes in and gives us life. And then he, he, he presented Jesus to us. And at that point, we were able to really take hold of it, our real conscious, active decision. But, but do you see how that works? We were dead. God gave us life. He enabled us to respond and take hold of him as a real response that you and I really took. And yet the verse says that we were, we, were, we were dead. And yet in another sense, we were active, as we said. It wasn't just that we were neutral like the glove, and that was the problem. We were active because look down at verse 1 and 2. The, the things that we were doing were against God. We were following the way of the world. We, we were living ungodly passions. We were living out every selfish desire that we had. We, we were dead to God and yet active rebels against him. And so the Bible says that we were under God's wrath, that's the word that's used later. It's a strong word, not one we maybe use often, but it says it in verse 3, that we were under God's wrath, which means that God was really angry with us for our rejection of him. And it's right that he is, because he sees what is contained in a world that lives out verse 3, where you and I say, I will carry out the desires of my body and my mind, I will do what I want. But the effect on you of my selfishness is hurt and damage and pain. And God sees what it's like when a world lives that way against him and ignores his ways. And, you know, so this week in the, in the media, you know, whether or not uh, Russell Brand did what is alleged of him, whether or not he did that. You and I don't need that to, to prove what we see before our eyes, that everywhere we look, in our work, in our schools, in our hearts, there is abuse of power and the weakest are hurt. And God is sad. God is rightly angry about that. And the Bible says that it's good that God is. It's good that God will judge this world because the damage that is done to the people God loves matters to him. He cares about how you treat me and how I treat you. And the Bible says, in fact, his, his wrath is an aspect of his love. 
And so think of the, you know, the spouse who's, who's cheated on by the husband or wife. And they're rightly angry, and they're rightly angry because they love. If they're not angry, they don't love. And so it is with God. Now, just a thing on his, his anger, his, his wrath. It's, it's not like human anger. It's not, uh, it's not unpredictable. It's not on a short fuse. You know, those people, it seems to come out of nowhere with that person. They just lose it out of all proportion to what happened. Now, God's not like that. His anger is predictable. It's always against sin and evil. It's just. It's based on complete knowledge. It's fair. There's no overreaction. It's in perfect proportion. And it's on a long fuse with plenty of warning. The Bible says he's slow to anger. But the Bible, God wants us to know, summary of this first point, to remember that we were once dead, walking in rebellion against God and, and therefore under his wrath. And, and look, if you're here and you're looking in on the Christian faith, God would want you to lovingly hear that this morning, to hear his, his diagnosis of the situation. But we love having you here if you're here looking in on the Christian faith. Many of us can remember exactly where you were as we just worked this through, maybe heard this for the first time, and realized how serious it is to live in God's world and to block him out. Think how uncomfortable it is when you know that you're out of sorts with someone. You, you, you know there's that colleague at work, or there's that teacher, or, or, or you just know you're out of sorts with, with someone. You kind of know that you live under their frown. Maybe you've done something wrong. and you, Until you can get it sorted out, you're just on edge. Well, the Bible says that if that's, you know, that's where we are, if we're not trusting in Jesus, we're, we're out of sorts with God. And God loves us enough to warn us about his wrath on, on the world, his judgment to come. And he gives us his diagnosis so that we can accept the cure. But it's clear that if we were dead, then the solution has to come from himself. And look, just before we move on in this point, if you're a Christian here, the Bible says, remember that you were dead. And so think back, if you can, to those days before you were a Christian. Some of us can remember. We were, we were teenagers. Some of us can't. We were very small children before we became Christians. Some of us in our 20s and 30s. Can you see yourself in your mind's eye back then? For me, I'm talking about 1988. Just remember it. Can you see yourself in your mind's eye, a rebel, deserving God's, God's wrath, ignoring him, dead, unable to do anything about it? You could have been left there by God forever. Things could not have been worse. But God. But God. Verse 4. But God acted. He could have left you there forever. You would have deserved it. Dead to him, rebelling against him. But God acted. God did something. Something kind and wonderful to save us. Notice verse 4 doesn't say, but you. It doesn't say, but you, to your eternal credit, worked it out and came to your senses. Of course you had to think. Of course in one point you made a choice. But it never puts it that way. But God acted. And so if we want to live in the humility of chapters 4 to 6, if we want something of the joy of chapter 1, then we need to think about what God has done. 
And let's come to that now in our second point. See, see, says Paul, God made you alive to walk in good works. First of all, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God being rich in mercy. That means that God absolutely loves to show mercy. He is rich in mercy. Imagine a a glass that is full to the the brim and someone's carrying along and you you sort of nudge it and and, and water sort of overflows. What do we get if if you could say what God is full of? The Bible says that God is rich in mercy. In mercy, he's overflowing. His mercy pours. He delights. It's as if if you you sort of nudge God, mercy flows out of God from his very heart. And Paul is sort of reaching for language in here to describe God's motivation. He says, see how great the love is with which God loved us. And the main thing that God did in verse 5 was to make us alive with Christ. Notice again how what happened to us mirrors what happened to Jesus. Jesus was dead, he was raised, he was seated, so that in the coming ages, and the same for us, we were, verse uh, 4, we were dead, raised, seated, so that in the coming ages. The same power that raised Jesus from the tomb And ascended him is the same power towards us. And all of this happens because we're united to Christ. We're in Christ. And that means that united to Jesus, where Jesus goes, we go. So we died with him. We're raised, we're ascended, we're seated with him. This sort of truth of the union of us with Christ. You could think of it this way. It's a bit like a, a baby in a mother's womb. So the baby in the mother's womb is, you could say, in, in mummy. And so it's obvious, wherever um, mummy goes, the, the baby goes. Uh, so you know, mummy goes to the shop, baby goes to the shop. Uh, mummy goes to bed, baby goes to bed. Um, mummy goes skydiving? No, 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 don't do, don't do that, don't do that. But um, See, so we died in Christ, we were raised, we were seated with him in the heavenly places. So did you notice that um, we have been seated? Uh, where was that? Verse 6, he raised us up with him and seated us with him. And so there is a place, if you're, a, a sense in which, if you're a Christian this morning, you are seated in two places um, this morning. The first is obvious, you look around, take hold of it, you're sitting on a chair uh, in Christchurch, Bromley, in Bromley. That is absolutely true. That is the reality. You are seated there today. But in another sense, in a more real sense, spiritually speaking, you are also seated in heaven. It's an extraordinary thought, isn't it? You're seated in two places. Physically, you're here, but spiritually, you're seated in heaven as well. And the idea behind being seated is the idea of of staying there. You know, so someone comes around your house and uh, they say, um, you say to them, um, come in, 
uh, please have a seat. And they might say, I won't, I won't sit down, I'm not staying. You've got to rush. I won't, I won't sit down, I'm not staying. Because, you see, sitting has to do with staying. And the Bible says that because we're seated in heaven, that means we are staying there. We're going to be there. God's not going to retract that. He's seated us in Christ in heaven. And so it's the immense privilege, if you're looking on the Christian faith, this is the immense privilege that our name place is already at the banqueting table of the wedding supper of, of Jesus. Oh, look, our physical body has to catch up. We have many ups and downs of life before then for our physical body, us to get there. But spiritually, you're as good as there. You're staying there. You've been seated by God there. And so look, if you're here this morning and you feel a little bit wobbly as a, as a Christian, hold on to this wonderful truth. If you're in Christ, you've been seated in the heavenly places. Your eternal future is utterly secure, no matter how your week has been. And God has done this so that in verse 7, so that in the unusual verse, this in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In a sense, it means that God has got kindness lined up for us that he longs to pour out, that he's excited about pouring out on us. I don't know if you describe yourself as a, as a good or a bad sort of present buyer. I don't know when it comes to Christmas or birthdays, whether you back yourself or you don't. It's been birthday week in our family. I'm not quite sure how I've done. We'll find out. But occasionally, depending on what you think, occasionally, you, you, you find a present and you think, oh, I think they're going to really love this. Do you ever have moments like that? A few of you looking around. Occasionally, you just think, I, I've got one here. And, and you're excited as the present is being opened. You think, I've got this one. This is going to be good. And you're excited at seeing the look on their face. And God has a store of immeasurable riches of grace, an exhaust, inexhaustible, immeasurable load of presence of his kindness that he can't wait, that he's so excited about pouring out on us like a waterfall of happiness. And at the heart of that in eternity is that we will finally know how good and how kind God has been to us, that rebels like us have become friends with God and are in heaven. And it will be so clear to us what a miracle of grace it is that you and I are there. We'll take no credit for it. It will be all of grace. And that word grace really is the, the word that's woven into this little section. It comes up three times. Grace, gift comes up once, that sort of related word. And again, if you're looking in on the Christian faith, grace is the heart of the Christian faith. It means God's undeserved mercy. It means his free gift of forgiveness. So that our salvation comes not by our doing, but all of God's kindness. And that's very unusual in life. Someone offers you lunch, you usually expect you're going to contribute to it. Heard of someone talking this week to, to someone who was looking in on the Christian faith who said, you know, surely just all religions are the same. And this person wanted to say, no, no, no. The Christian faith is unique in this area of grace. In all of the other religions of the world, you have to earn your way. You have to do stuff. The five pillars of Islam, the, 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 the 
Jewish laws. You never have, you can never do enough. You have to earn your place. There's no assurance that way. But God gives heaven as a free gift every spiritual blessing. And so, you know, pathfinders or spectrum, imagine this week you've got a maths test. I used to hate maths, so I used to, used to fear it. And, and, and you fear it because you've got to do all of the work. You, you've, got to, you've got to get through it. You've got to do the homework. It depends on you. But imagine you were told before, just before you went in to do the test, imagine that you were told you'd already been given 100%. You'd already you'd approach that exam completely differently. You might even enjoy the maths exam. I don't know if that's possible, but I think it might be. Because you'd know. It doesn't depend on me. I can enjoy it. I can sit back. And the Bible says it's the same. If we're Christians, God gives us the free gift of heaven. We're seated in heaven already. The motivation for the Christian life is not, can I earn my way? Can I lose it? You've been seated. It's given to you as a free gift, not a result of works. And so another couple of illustrations in case this helps. It's the difference between being given the recipe and the ingredients and told to make a cake and the difference between just being given a cake that Mary Berry has made. There's a different, a whole world of difference. Earning your way, being given a gift. Or Les Mis, the, the film. You remember Les Mis, the film. Jean Valjean goes into the bishop's house, steals the silver cutlery. And the bishop says to him, take the candlesticks as well. It's grace. It's a gift. We don't have to earn it. And Jean Valjean was a changed man because of grace. And Paul is praying that that would be the case for us. And so he rules out boasting in verse 9. No boasting. No boasting. So remember chapter 4, verse 1, where we're going to go in a few weeks' time? Live with humility, bear with one another, be patient. You and I will never be able to do that if we think that our Christian status depended on how well we did, because our heads will be held high, will be above everyone else. But if we remember where we came from, that we were dead rebels, well, then that opens up for us the excitement of verse 10 as we close. Can we just look at verse 10 as we close? We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You and I have been created by God. It's the same idea that's used in chapter 3, verse 9, where God created the world. He has created a new humanity to do good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. We started the passage in verse 1 or 2, walking in dead deeds, with Satan at work in us. Now, we end the passage, if we're Christians, with God at work to give us good works that God has prepared. What a difference that can make to us this week as you look ahead to whatever's coming up. God has got good works prepared for you to walk in them. And the thing that motivates us to walk in them is where we came from. That we're under grace. And I hear that as I talk to some of you. I think of, uh, you know, lots of you as I talk. And I say, what keeps, what keeps you going? And some of you will just start very simply with a sentence. You know, God's been so good to me. God's been so good to me, you will say. 
And in many senses, you'll be talking about his providence over your life and also the moment that he first brought you to trust in him, his goodness to you in salvation is what motivates you to keep going. And we can say the same. We can say, I was, I was dead to God. I was re rebelling against him, but now he's raised me and seated me in the heavenly realms. And so we rule out boasting and pride in our lives. And we say, my life is not my own anymore. I now do the works that God has prepared for me this week to walk in them. Let's pray. Let's have a moment of quiet. Just to think about what God has spoken into our hearts. Just to speak back to him. Maybe just to say, God, I don't understand this. Please help me. But a moment of quiet. And then we'll pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your grace. A free gift to us and yet so costly for the Lord Jesus. We think of how he bowed his head on the cross under your wrath in our place, taking it so that we didn't have to because of his great love for us so that we could be forgiven, that we could be raised with him, seated securely in heaven by your grace. We thank you. And we pray that you would help us to, to live this out, to walk in the works that you've laid up for us. Not out of um, a sense of sort of paying you back or because we, we feel we still have to earn our way. But please, would your grace motivate us to walk in these works that you've prepared, to know that you've lifted the, the pressure of earning our way, that we can enjoy the freedom that you've given us of of serving you, of doing good works with our lives, having real purpose in our lives and this week as we live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.